leadership really matters. Wouldn't you agree? In all aspects of life, uh, we see that leadership matters. I'm, as most of you know, a big sports fan, enjoy following that. And it's always fascinating to me to see the impact of a good coach. You know, there are situations where a good coach can actually compensate for the lack of superstar players. And you see some of these teams do really well because they're, they're coached very well. Or you see other situations where there's tons of talent on a team, but the coaching isn't what it should be and they don't live up to their potential. You see the same thing in the business world, right? Companies, organizations realize how important it is to have uh, the, the right type of leaders in place at the top of the organization. And so whether it's coaching, whether it's business, um, one of the, the, the things that we're going to talk about today is the fact that that applies to us in the home, you know, leadership in the home. All of those things, it's so important to set the right tone, to create the right culture. And when those things don't happen, who do we hold accountable? Who, who gets fired? Generally, the coach gets fired or the CEO gets fired or you, know, you hold someone accountable that is in a position of authority and leadership because leadership matters. And today, as we continue on in Malachi chapter 2, we're going to see that God is holding accountable those who are in the, the position of spiritual leadership, and that's the priests. And it's going to be pretty strong. Uh, you might recall that um, I kind of warned you here when we started the book of Malachi that he is very straightforward. So no holding punches back at all. And so we're going to see that very, very clearly today in Malachi chapter 2. I would remind you, a little context, Malachi chapter 1, last week we talked about the fact that uh, the people were bringing blemished sacrifices to the Lord. And that was, that was a no-go and so God called them out for that, and now he's going to hold the priests accountable for allowing these types of things to happen. So let's pick it up, Malachi 2, and we're going to read 1 through 9 together today. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant with him was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and the people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. So again, really direct, awfully strong words from Malachi here uh, in chapter 2, really from God as he delivers this message, and you might read this, and some of you might be tempted to breathe a little bit easier because you think, oh, good, I'm not a priest. I'm not in a position of spiritual authority, and so this doesn't apply to me. Well, two thoughts to that. First of all, uh, let me just remind you that 
everybody should be striving toward the things that he's talking about here and all of us as followers of Christ are striving for the same thing. So it's not that you know there are certain standards for those in authority that don't apply to those not in authority. Now there's a certain level of accountability that's greater for those that are in positions of leadership, but we're all striving for that. That's number one. And number two is to remind you that you have spiritual leadership somewhere in your life, or you should. I mean, as followers of Christ, if we're not leading someone spiritually, we're not doing what we're not where we need to be. And so it really does apply to us there. And I'll tell you, those of you do that that are parents, grandparents, but especially I would say parents, you have an opportunity, a built-in opportunity and responsibility to live out spiritual leadership in the context of your home. And specifically, dads, that primary responsibility. And privilege comes to us as the spiritual leaders of the home. And so both are important, mom and dad, both have, have spiritual leadership in the home. But dads, we have that opportunity to lead out. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we continue on. Um, but going back to this passage here, a couple of main ideas in the second one we're going to break down a little bit further. But the first one is coming off of chapter 1. And we see this in verse 6 of chapter 1, and we see it again here in chapter 2, where God's very upset at what the um, priests were tolerating, the types of blemished and diseased and lame sacrifices that were being brought to God. So here's the first main idea, and that is that spiritual leaders are held accountable for what they tolerate. Those in, in positions of spiritual authority are held accountable for what they tolerate. That was the issue here with the priest, and that is that they were not setting the standard. I mean, human nature is to do what is easiest and least costly, right? That's, that's where we would just naturally drift if we allow ourselves to. And so it's the responsibility of those in spiritual leadership to say, no, that, that, that's not what we're going to do. I mean, what should have happened when the people brought these blemished sacrifices to the priests? They should have rejected them, right? They should have said, well, no, I'm not going to accept this. And they should have used it as a teaching opportunity. The priest should have been the one saying what God said to the priest in chapter 1. Try offering uh, sacrifices this to your governor. See if he will be pleased. I mean, that should have been those in the position of, of leadership saying that. But they didn't. They tolerated it. And when those in positions of spiritual leadership lower their standards, it won't take long before those under their leadership lower their standards as well. And so that's why this is such a big deal. And that's why God speaks very, very directly about this. You know, it's, it's been a long time since I've been in seminary. In fact, um, gosh, started 30 years ago. And um, I, there are a lot of different books that I read and, and classes that I attended and great people that poured into me. I, I don't remember most of what I read when I was in seminary, but I do remember one quote, and I don't know if I'll get the exact wording right, but it was from a guy by the name of John Stott. It was a book called Between Two Worlds. It was a book on preaching in a preaching class, and essentially what he said was this. He said, the pew will seldom rise above the level of the pulpit. And what he meant by that was that those who have the responsibility and the privilege of preaching God's word to a congregation, you're very seldom going to see a congregation rise to a higher spiritual level than that leader is at 
Uh, it just normally doesn't work that way. And that's really what God is, is getting at here. That's why he's getting on to the priests because it's so important to set that standard. Not that they're going to be perfect in, in any respect. But going back to the priesthood and just seeing how this was instituted, Exodus chapter 28 talks about uh, how Aaron was to bring his sons to serve as priests. And one of the things that seems a little bit odd probably to our, um, to our eyes and ears as we read and hear about it is uh, the, the garments that were required of the priest to wear. Do you, do you remember reading this in the Old Testament? A lot of detail about the very specific type of holy garments that they were to wear and all that. And, and so, you know, you read that and you might think, okay, why, what was God like really into fashion? You know, why was this such a big deal? Why did he go out of his way to make so much emphasis on these beautiful garments and what color they were and how they were to be worn and all that? And the reason for that is simple. It's because... The priests were to reflect the beauty and holiness of God in their dress, but also in every other aspect of their life. See, that's, that's what we all should be seeking to do, to reflect the beauty and the holiness of God. And that's why he gave so much detail about all this. It seems a little odd to us today. Um, but then Malachi comes along. And he just, I mean, he delivers this message that is really strong. And this takes some guts, by the way, because the priests were in positions of authority here. But Malachi doesn't care. Again, remember, his name means messenger. His job was to deliver God's message, and that's what he was primarily concerned about. He wasn't concerned about whether the priests would like it or not. Uh, but then you read the verbiage in verse 3. Let me read this again. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. Now, that's a little startling, isn't it? I'm going to take the excrement from your sacrifices, and I'm going to smear it on your face. I bet you either didn't know or remember that was in the Bible, right? But it is. And God is, is seeking to get the attention of them and make a, uh, them realize how important this was uh, because, going back to what we said a moment ago, because those who are in spiritual authority are held to a higher level of accountability. James 3.1 puts it this way. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. You see, verse 4 tells us why God was holding them accountable to such a high level. It's because, he says, he had this covenant with Levi. He wanted the covenant to continue. He wanted to work through the priest. He wanted to bless his people. He wanted to communicate with his people through his priest. He wanted to continue on this covenant. But the way the priests were going, if something didn't change, God was not going to be able to continue down that path with them. And so he gives them a really, really strong warning. And if... I'm going to smear dung on your face, doesn't get your attention, then I'm not really sure what will, right? Here's a little background of, of what might have been going on there. Uh, whenever they would offer sacrifices, there were certain organs and things that would be sacrificed on the altar, but there were other parts of the animal that would be taken outside the camp to be burned outside the camp, not as a part of that you know, as it talks about the pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the intestines were part of what would be removed and taken outside the camp. So it would be natural for the intestines to be removed from the animal being sacrificed. 
I'm sure even these priests who are offering blemished animals to the Lord were at least doing that much. And he said, I'm going to take you know, the excrement from that. I'm going to smear it on your face. Now, I've never had that happen to me, thankfully. However, I would say that I've come a little bit close. And so I thought I would share that story with you just for a little bit of fun today. Um, several years ago, we had a couples retreat that uh, we did this a long time ago for Gateway. And we went to a farmhouse and there were several couples out there and they had several four-wheelers. And so the couples were getting on the four-wheelers and they were riding around uh, on the property. And it was really fun. And, and so everybody got on their four-wheelers to go. And then there was one that was like a kid-sized version, you know, like a lower to the ground one. And Sean and I thought, oh, that'd be hilarious if we get on the little one together. You know, so we get on and it seems pretty stable. So we're like, let's do it. So we take off and we're trailing behind them a little bit, but we're trying to catch up, you know. And, and so we're low to the ground on our little four-wheelers and they're just throwing the dirt clods up everywhere, you know, landing on us. And Sean's, you know, right behind me like this, holding on, I'm driving. She's doing this right behind me, dirt clods landing all over me as we're going. And so we stop and get off, and we realize those weren't dirt clods. <laughs> there was manure all over my shoulders, all over stuff. So she gets off, starts laughing and throwing up, laughing and throwing up, literally at the same time. Poor thing had to go back. I had a jacket. I just threw the jacket away, and I was good. It got all over her clothes. She had to go back to the farmhouse and find some, some warm-ups that belonged to the man that lived there. They were way too big for her, but she wore these baggy warm-ups and threw her clothes away. And uh, rather than calling her Sean, we called her Patty for the next three months. So <laughs> I've not experienced having dung smeared on my face. That's about as close as I've gotten. But the, the point here is a very serious point. God's saying, look, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to wake you up here and help you understand that this is a really, really big deal. And that leads me to the second main idea for today. And that is that spiritual leaders must set an example for those who look up to them. That's his point here. Um, and, and as you go through the rest of this chapter, I think I see three different specific ways that I want to point out that we do set that example. Because look at, at what he says about Levi in verse 4. He's talking about his covenant continuing. And then in verse 5, it says that he wants to make a covenant of life and peace. And it says, this called for reverence. And he revered me and stood in awe of my name. One of the ways that we set a godly example is spiritual leaders revere God. That's what Levi did. In other words, he's talking here about his heart posture. He's talking, talking about being in, in, in the right place of worship before the Lord, that he stood in reverence of God. And that theme keeps coming up over and over again over the last several weeks as we've been talking about worship and how important the heart is and we need to have our hearts right before God as we are worshiping. And he says, Levi did that. That Levi actually stood in reverence before him. You know, one of the things we pointed out last week was the fact that God has given us his best in Christ, right? Um, that Jesus came to this earth to become the sin sacrifice for us. We had no hope. When we were dead in our sins, had no hope of saving ourselves. Christ came and became a sacrifice for us. He did that for every single one of us. He gave Christ to us. He died in our place. He rose from the dead and through him, we can, can be forgiven. We can have our sin debt paid for if we'll turn and confess our sins and put our trust in Christ. And so the response to God giving his best to us then is we, in return, give our best back to him. 
We revere him when we understand. We, we get out of the driver's seat. We say, I'm going to allow you to be in control of my life. And, and here it says, in a sense, that's what Levi was doing, that he was revering God. You know, sometimes I think that concept of um, making God the top priority in our lives, I think we can miss that because we get so caught up in uh, doing things for ourselves. You know, we're, we're so used to being told to chase our dreams and find our happiness and do what we want to accomplish, and we forget that the life that we are called to as followers of Jesus is a life of taking up our cross and following him. It's dying to self. It's not, you know, how can I live for self? It's how can I die to self and live for Christ? And so that's what, what he's talking about here in standing in reverence before God. They revered God. And then a natural result of that, when we do revere God, is the second thing, that, a way that we can set a godly example, and that's to live an exemplary life. That's an overflow of reverence for God. And I want to make it as clear as we possibly can to say that this is not about trying harder. It's not about, you know, I've got to do this and I've got to make it happen. It's about walking with God in such a way that, that the Holy Spirit kind of just flows out of us, you know. I was thinking back to Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, where it talks about a guy named Enoch. And we don't know a lot about Enoch, but Genesis 5, 24 says this. It says, Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. It says that, by the way, in the verse right before that as well, that he walked with God. Um, you know, I've often thought that I, I could think of no greater compliment to be said about my life than for someone to say he walked with God. I mean, that, that's about as good as it gets, right? It's that relationship with God. It's walking with God is what allows us then to live an exemplary life. It's, it's the overflow of Christ in us. And verse 6 talks about how Levi uh, walked with God, it says, in peace and in uprightness. And we're going to come back, by the way, if you notice that we skipped over the first part of verse 6. I'm going to come back to that because it ties into 7 through 9. Uh, so we are coming back to that. But uh, as a result of walking with God, it says at the end of verse 6, it says, He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Now, I'm sure some of that had to do with what he taught, and that's what we're going to talk about next. But I think some of that had to do with just the way he lived his life. That people looked at him and they could see that this is someone who walked with God. And as a result, it, I think part of that was turning people from sin. So let's go back to the application piece we talked about earlier, and that is, Okay, what does that look like for those of us who are parents? And we're talking about setting uh, a godly example for our children, for our home. And the biggest encouragement that I can give to you is to encourage you to walk with God. You know, I think sometimes uh, we, we can get so caught up, especially in parenting, of, you know, I, I want to do the right things and I want to... To, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it is your desire, maybe it's not your desire, but, but if it is your desire to lead your kids to follow Jesus and that, that's a priority to you, sometimes that can get a little overwhelming, right? Am I supposed to do this kind of devotional and Bible study and scripture memory? And like, what are all the pieces that I'm supposed to do as a parent to help my kids have this spiritual foundation in their lives? And those things are important. But I dare say that even more important than teaching them correct doctrine is allowing them to see you living a life where you walk with God. 
I think that's the most important thing. That's not discounting those other elements. But, but kids are really perceptive, aren't they? They notice when something is phony or, you know, when it's just lip service. And how many stories have you heard of kids that were like, yeah, my parents made me go to Bible study every night, uh, but I saw the way they treated each other. I saw the way they treated me, and I wanted nothing to do with their God. They had heard all the right stuff, but they didn't see it lived out. And so walking with God, even in the home, is such a really, really big deal. I actually had um, uh, lunch this week with a new believer uh, just came to Christ about three months ago, and he has a couple of young children. And he was telling me that he was shocked at the immediate change in his kids, their disposition toward coming to church and toward listening to the things of God. And his comment to me, he goes, gosh, do, does, the, does the dad really have that much influence spiritually in the home? Said, yeah, he does. That's, that's what you're seeing is that impact of uh, following that godly leadership. Now, ladies, that's not to... Uh, uh, to minimize in any way the impact that you have in the home too because they're both important and we want to come alongside both men and women to provide those resources see sometimes especially for guys it's like I don't know where to start because um, truth of the matter is probably most of us did not have that godly example of a father in the home growing up and so it may just be I'm not sure where to start I don't know where to go I want to I just don't know what to do. And if that's the case, man, please come see me. Let, let's, let's talk about how to get plugged in. You know, there are opportunities to get connected with other men. There are opportunities to get connected in mentoring type relationships. Same thing, ladies. There are opportunities to get connected with other women. I know our women's Bible study starts up this week. Great opportunity to get connected with other godly women that, that can help encourage and, and help us to, to know how we can grow. Uh, but walking with God, man, that, that, in my opinion, is the most important thing that we can do. If we want to lead others spiritually very well. But there is another really important part of that too. Uh, verse 6 says that true instruction was on his mouth. And then you get into verses 7 through 9. And he talks about this again. So the last thing. Here's a third way that we can live out uh, our faith. And that is that spiritual leaders teach accurately. And this is vital. Spiritual leaders teach accurately. Look, look again at verse 7. It says, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. Now, especially in this day, think about this. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't have their own copies of God's word. So if they wanted to learn what God had to say, they went to the priest and the priest was to dispense this, uh, the, the, the words of God to the people. And yet in this day, the priests were not doing that. They, they weren't living up to that responsibility. In fact, you get down to verse 9, and one of the main issues, it says, they were not following his ways. It says they've shown partiality in matters of the law. And so they, they weren't just being you know, straightforward, but they were you know, doing things that, that helped some and hurt others, and it was just against God's plan. So church family, let me say this as clearly as I possibly can. A spiritual leader's responsibility is to accurately teach what God says, period. It is not our role to decide whether or not we agree with what God says or whether we think it fits into our culture today. Our job as spiritual leaders, whether it be in the home or in the church or wherever else you may be, is to accurately teach what God says, period. That's it. 
And that sounds simple and straightforward, but it's not always as easy as it sounds. And in 2 Timothy 4, uh, there's a warning that was given about what would come. Uh, in 2 Timothy 4, 2, Paul is encouraging Timothy and he's giving him this charge to preach the word. In season, out of season, all the time. Preach with boldness. And then you get to the next verse, 2 Timothy 4, 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Church family, we are living in a day where people surround themselves with teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They want to hear about how God is going to make everything in their life better, and so they gather around them teachers to teach them about their best life now. They uh, want to have a church that is inclusive and just, you know, no restrictions, and so they gather around them teachers who tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They don't want to hear about sin, and so they gather around them teachers who won't address the topic of sin. I mean, we are living this out today. We see this being lived out in our culture. That so many teachers just kind of, it's like, well, here's what I know you want to hear. Um, and yet the Bible is really, really clear that our responsibility is to teach what God says. Now, I, I think it's only fair to say that although this is important to me and always has been important from the beginning, I'm sure that there are more blind spots in this area in my life than I realize. So I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I always do this perfectly. But I will tell you that that's the goal, that, that's the priority, that's what's important to me, that's what's important to us as a church, is to teach what God's Word says. Now some who hold to that conviction use that conviction as an excuse to be really abrasive about it. I don't think that's necessary. When we're talking about holding to the truth, we're not saying that you just have to be abrasive and you just kind of have to be a jerk to everybody, um, you know, and use God's word to just slap them across the face. That's, that's not the goal either. And I don't see that in the life of Jesus. I see Jesus not backing down. I see him being confrontational at times. I see him, you know, standing firm for the truth, but also see him being incredibly compassionate, kind, loving. That's my goal for us as a church, is that we stand firm on the truth and at the same time are known for being compassionate and kind and loving. And those two aren't mutually exclusive. We, we can do both. And back to what we were talking about earlier, applying this in the context of a home, parents, you can do both as well. You can hold to a high standard. Let me go back and remind you that spiritual leaders... We're responsible for what we tolerate. We're held accountable for what we tolerate. I mean, think about how that applies in the home. As parents, what is it that we tolerate? Now, there are, are a couple of extremes that people tend to go to on this one. There's the kind of militaristic, you know, I'm going to lay the law down, and that's how it is, and there's no discussion, and you, you know, misstep, and, you know, boom, the hammer is going to drop. Um, and where there's no grace and there's no love involved in that process, that tends to lead toward rebellion. It tends to divide the relationship. And then you've got the other extreme where rather than, you know, holding to high standards, the parent's goal is just to be their kid's best friend. 
and just, you know, whatever you want to do, I just want you to be happy and we'll just go along with it. And that tends to lead to entitlement and lack of discipline. The goal there, just like we said here, is to say, this is, this is what we strive for because this is what God says. Now, there's going to be grace, there's going to be love, but there's also going to be consequences. I mean, look back at this passage here where God's saying, I love you so much, priest, that I'm not going to allow you to continue to go down this path because if you do, I'm going to have to cut you off and I don't want to do that. And so because I love you so much, I'm going to hold you to a high level of accountability. That should be our goal in the home as well as we lead spiritually in the home. This is why, by the way, too, that we seek to... um, have a level of accountability even within our church family. We've been talking about this a lot uh, recently. But those who are members of Gateway commit to, to doing four things. The worship, grow, serve, give. You're going to be in church. You're going to find a small group to connect to. You're going to serve in some type of ministry. And you're going to give financially to support God's work through the church. And you know what? I, I don't apologize for saying this is our standard because, here's why. Because that's my privilege and responsibility as a spiritual leader to say, I want to hold you to a high standard because I want to see you grow. I want to see you be all that God wants you to be. That's the goal. It's not so that you can beat somebody down. The goal is I want to see you grow and become all that God wants you to be. And think about how important it is that we have people in our lives that can speak into us and help us to do that. I am 100% convinced that I would not be standing here on the stage doing what I'm doing today if it weren't for godly leaders and and friends and mentors and most importantly, a wife who pushed me to grow spiritually, who helped hold me accountable, who teach me, who helped me grow. That's a huge part of my background. I know that's a huge part of your story as well. My prayer is that God would use each of us to be that person for someone else as well. So that as we're following wholeheartedly, we're able to influence others and help them to become all that God wants them to be as well. Let's pray together. Father, today would you help us? I pray that we hold to a high standard. And at the same time, we realize that it's only through Christ that we'll we'll ever be able to accomplish anything. But Lord... Help us to love you wholeheartedly. Help our um, just commitment to you to, to um, reflect your love for us in an appropriate way. And so whatever it looks like, Lord, for us to make things right, I pray that we do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.